Uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today is Psalm 107, verses 23 to 31. And we're going to be looking at God's sovereignty and man's self-sufficiency this morning. Uh, I've requested Daph to read the passage for us. It'll come up on your chat box as she reads it out. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. God's word. Amen. Thank you, Daph. This is the 12th sermon in the Renewal of Work series. And we're going to pause this series for a few months after today's sermon. So let me ask you this. What's been your one big takeaway so far from this entire sermon series? Even as you think about that, mull over that, try and recollect everything that you heard, may I offer you my takeaway from the series? This is what I'm taking away from the ground we've covered so far. Apart from our daily dependence on Jesus Christ, apart from our deep dependence on him, we are all going to take God's beautiful gift of work, which is given us for the blessing of society, and we're going to turn it into a selfish, tiring, never satisfying pursuit. We're going to take the gift of work given for the glory of society, and we're going to turn it into a selfish, tiring, never satisfying pursuit if we don't walk daily in dependence of Christ Jesus. That's been my takeaway so far from the series. The psalm that we're looking at today not only reinforces this warning, but it also gives us a way out of the trap. And so I'd like to draw three things out for us from the passage we looked at from Psalm 107. First, the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. Second, the wonderful storm of God's sovereignty. Third, crying out to the Lord. The woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. The wonderful storm of God's sovereignty and crying out to the Lord. Let's start with the first thing, the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. If you read the entire psalm, it actually outlines four unfolding and different scenarios. Each of these scenarios rolling out in exactly the same pattern. We read, we read, what we read is only one of the four scenarios. There are four scenarios like this in the psalm. And all four scenarios have the same pattern. Every scenario begins with human beings sinning against God. They struggle as a consequence of their sin. They cry to God for help. 
God helps them and they're called to express their gratitude to God. So this is the pattern we see playing out four times in the psalm. Sin, struggle as a consequence of sin, prayer, deliverance, and gratitude. In verses 4 and 9 in the psalm, we haven't read that, uh, this, uh, the sin is that some people wandered away from God. They struggle in their sin. They cry out to God. God helps them and they give thanks to the God. Thanks to God. In verses 10 to 16, uh, the sin here is that people rebel against God. They reject his commands and they struggle in their sin. They cry out to God. God helps them and they give thanks to God. In verses 17 to 22, the sin here is, is their foolishness. And uh, they, they struggle in, in their sin and they come close to death. They cry out to God. God helps them and they give thanks. The fourth scenario, this is the one that we read out today, is a little different. The fourth scenario is different because the sin of the people is not named in the scenario. Look at verse 23 that we started the passage with. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. These are some very successful entrepreneurs setting sail on a a business trip. Sure, some businessmen went on a business trip. What's what's the sin here? Because the psalm follows a pattern. People sin, they struggle, they cry out to God. But what's what's the sin here? The sin in the passage is not easy to find, but it is a sin that we are all well familiar with. It is the sin of self-sufficiency. The sin of self-sufficiency is not uh, named in the passage. But as you read how the scenario plays out, it's quite obvious that the passage is warning us against the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. I guess we've all seen movies where uh, a ship is about to set out uh, to sail on a voyage. It could be a commercial ship. It could be a military ship. Whatever the ship, the preparations before the voyage are always extensive and meticulous. There's always a bus of activity at, at the port. Things are being loaded. Equipment is being tested. Instructions are being shouted out. And almost, almost still just a few moments before the ship sets sail. You remember all the humdum uh, and the activity uh, when the Titanic in that unforgettable movie set out to sail for the very first time. Every ship that sets out to sail, uh, sets out to the sea, has to ensure that it is fully self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is a necessity for a ship, but it is a sin for human beings. It is a sin because every notion of self-sufficiency in our hearts breeds God redundancy. Self-sufficiency, human self-sufficiency at every level breeds God redundancy. Don't we all desire to plan out and control every detail, every milestone, every turn in our lives? Don't we all desire to be the masters of our own destinies? An MBA when you turn 23 or 24, an MNC for the next three, four years, uh, and and, and then a startup or or a quick rise in the career, 
the CEO's poster somewhere there on, on, on the radar? Tell me something. Is there anyone who ever plans on being needy, on dependent on God and their career? Did you plan on that? None of us. Every single one of us, myself first, all of our plans for the future are all about being in control and being self-sufficient and therefore not being dependent on God. Think about it. The best plans, the best scenarios that we imagine and we dream of involve not being dependent on God, involve being self-sufficient. Have no doubt, self-sufficiency leads to God redundancy. God smiles at us. He, he smiles at our attempts to build self-sufficiency in, in our lives. And, and like he did in this passage, every once in a while, he, he sends a storm. He sends a storm not to punish us, but he sends a storm to help us see the foolishness of our self-sufficiency. He sends a storm to expose the inadequacy of our self-sufficiency. We see in in the psalm, that the the, the passage we read, that the storm blew away every illusion of self-sufficiency. Surely the ship was self-sufficient. Surely the ship was well-equipped. But when the storm came, verse 27 says, they reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Self-sufficient men and women staggering, like drunken people under the force of the storm. Every single one of us had just been through this experience. The pandemic and the lockdown is a storm that has exposed every one of the inadequacy of every one of our self-sufficiency. What is your self-sufficiency? What has your self-sufficiency? What has my self-sufficiency come to in the last 15 months that we've been locked up? up? Do you feel self-sufficient emotionally? Do you feel self-sufficient in regard to your health? We have all been tested and we have been found wanting. Some of our careers have been shaken Some of our careers have not been shaken. Either way, did you feel the same self-sufficiency now that you felt maybe 15 months ago? Are we happy? Are we peaceful? Are we joyful? Do we feel fulfilled in life in our self-sufficiency? Is this the life we want? Is this how we want to live the next 10 years? The life you have now, is this the life you want for the next 10 years? This is the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. Oh, the pandemic has, has, has helped us see that. It has helped us see that. That's the first thing I wanted to draw, the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency. The second thing that I wanted to draw for us from the passage is the wonderful storm of God's sovereignty. The wonderful storm of God's sovereignty. In the passage uh, we read, it was God who stirred up the storm. God sent the storm. Look at verse 25. Then he, that is God, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind 
which lifted up the waves of the sea. The waves mounted up to heaven and came crashing down on the ship. God sent the storm. The storm. In fact, the psalmist even describes the storm as the wondrous work of the Lord. The wondrous work of the Lord. Look at verses 24 and 25. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. The psalmist is saying the storm that God raised up is a wondrous work of the Lord. Why on earth is the psalmist calling a terrible storm the wonderful work of the Lord? Is the psalmist suggesting a sadistic God who enjoys watching his people suffer? Not at all. Why then? Why then is the psalmist calling this terrible storm the wonderful work of the Lord? This passage gives us three reasons why. Three reasons why this terrible storm is actually the wonder and the mercy of the Lord. Three reasons the psalm gives us. First, storms sanctify our dreams. Second, storms teach us to pray. And third, storms help us grow in gratitude. Storms sanctify our dreams. Storms teach us to pray. And storms help us grow in gratitude. That's why God stirred up this terrible storm. Let's look at all three things quickly. First, storms sanctify our dreams. In the passage we read, four things happened in sequence. First, self-sufficient men set off on a voyage. Obviously, they had a destination. They knew where they wanted to go. They had a desired destination. Second, God stirred up a storm. Third, they cried out to the Lord. And fourth and last, God saved them and guided them to their desired destination. That's the key. God guided them to their desired destination. Look at verse 30. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and God brought them to their desired haven. Once God calmed the storm, he guides the ship full of self-sufficient men and he actually helps them go where they wanted to go in the very first place. God brought the storm, but he also guided them to their destination. If if God was anyway going to take the ship to their desired destination, why bring the storm? You see, God did not bring the storm and take them to another destination. That's not what God did. That would have made sense. But God brought the storm and took them to the destination they desired. Think of this in your Life and mine. Let's let's imagine a self-sufficient you and a self-sufficient me. Um, Let's imagine a self-sufficient you fresh out of an Ivy League MBA. Let's assume your goal is to to make it to CEO in 10 years. And let's imagine this Ivy League MBA is your self-sufficient ship and, and to become CEO in 10 years is your desired destination. If you do make it to CEO in 10 years, there are two potential ways in which you can walk into that coveted corner office. Two potential ways. First is the 10-year career voyage to the the destination of becoming CEO with no storms at all. That's the first. Second is a 10-year career voyage to the destination of becoming CEO with at least 
two or three terrible storms in your career. You see, in both the scenarios, you do get to the desired destination, just as the men in the ship got to their desired destination. What's the difference between the two scenarios? In the voyage, without the storm, it will be a self-sufficient you that becomes CEO. In the voyage, with two or three terrible storms, it will be a God-reliant you who becomes CEO. You reach the destination. You reach your desired destination in both scenarios. But the you who reaches both these destinations are very different people. The you who reaches a destination without any storms is going to be a self-sufficient you. And you're going to be poorer for it. The you who reaches a destination after weathering two, three terrible storms is going to be a God-reliant you. And you're going to be richer Storms sanctify our dreams and storms sanctify us as we pursue even our God-given dreams. Storms sanctify us by blowing away our self-sufficiency. You see, the desire that you have for your career, your life, whatever that may be, is a good desire. Nothing wrong with it. It's, It's God's gift to you. It's probably birthing out of the goodness that God's birthed that God's birthed in you. But we corrupt it with our sinfulness. And so our desire needs to be sanctified. Our dreams need to be sanctified. And we need the, the, we need the wonderful storm of God's sovereignty to sanctify our dreams. That's the first reason God allows storms. The second reason God allows storms in our lives from this passage is that some is that storms teach us to pray. Look at verses 27 and 28. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. You see, the men did not cry out to God when they set out on, on a self-sufficient voyage. They did not cry out to God when the waters were calm and, and the going was easy. They did not even cry out to God when the storm began. This verse tells us they cried out to God only when the storm was blowing at full force and, and they were staggering like drunken men and they came to their wits end. There's nothing more they could do. That's what the verse says, 27. They were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Oh, I can relate to that. We are a generation who will not cry out to God until we are at our wit's end. It's true, isn't it? This is a problem of self-sufficiency. Let me prove this to you. City has been around seven, eight years, I think. And when did we start getting on a Zoom call to pray daily? When the storm came. Only when the storm of the pandemic hit us. That that does not speak of your self-sufficiency and mine. So storms teach us to pray. That's why uh, the psalmist calls the psalm, the, the storm, the wonderful work of the Lord. The third and the last reason why God allows the storm. God, storms help us grow in gratitude. Storms help us grow in gratitude. 
If you were at the gospel huddle last Wednesday, we, we talked about gratitude. And look at verse 31 in the passage here. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wondrous deeds for mankind. These self-sufficient men grew in their gratitude through the storm. But here's the beautiful thing about these terrible storms in your life and mine. When we pray in the storm and when God delivers us and when we come out of the storm in one piece, we don't only thank God for delivering us from the storm. Suddenly, as a result of that experience of God delivering us out of the storm, we become aware of all the other blessings we have never thanked God for. Every storm also teaches us to appreciate the countless blessings of God that we keep on enjoying but rarely acknowledge. Storms help us to grow in gratitude. Excuse me. So we've covered a couple of the points so far. We've looked at the woeful inadequacy of human self-sufficiency, and we've looked at the wonderful storm of God's sovereignty. I want to close with the third thing that uh, the passage that we read and the entire psalm is calling us to see. Crying out, to our Lord, crying out to the Lord, to our Lord. In the four scenarios in the psalm, in every one of the scenarios, the men and women cried out to God. But the passage we're looking at, the passage of the storm, the portion of the psalm we're looking at, the portion of the storm, has such strong parallels to another incident in the New Testament. One day when Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, Jesus was resting, There came a terrible storm. The disciples were scared. They they woke up Jesus and screamed, we're going to die. We're going to die in the storm. Do something, save us. Jesus woke up from a sleep. And uh, Mark chapter 4, 35 to 39 tells us, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely So I could very easily end the sermon by saying, whenever you face any storm in your life, call to Jesus, pray to Jesus, cry to Jesus. He will calm every storm in your life. Jesus is the great calm stormer. He will calm every storm in your life. life. That would be true, but it would not be complete. If I close a sermon like this, I would have given you only half of Jesus. And I can assure you, I don't want to give you only half of Jesus. So I'm not going to close the sermon with showing you by showing you how Jesus calmed the storm. But I'm going to show you, close the sermon by showing us how Jesus cried to the Father in the storm. One half of Jesus is the Jesus who calmed the storm. The other half of Jesus, that makes a complete Jesus, is the Jesus who cried out to the Father in the storm. The greatest storm any human being ever came up against was not a storm of the sea, 
but the storm of God's fury. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus was arrested and later crucified, Jesus spent the night crying out to God. Crying out to God. He was crying out to God, not because he was afraid of the Roman soldiers of what they would do to him. He was crying out to God because he was overwhelmed by what God was about to do to him. You see, the cross was not just a Roman punishment. The cross was God's punishment being heaped upon Christ Jesus for the sins of every man and every woman and every child who would ever come to believe in Christ Jesus. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Jesus said, as he cried out to his father. This was the greatest storm ever. This was the storm of God's holy and just fury. This was a storm that had been stored up for centuries for the sins that had already been committed and for the sins that would be committed by every single man, woman, and child who would come to believe in Christ Jesus. And being in agony, Jesus cried out to God fervently and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is how Jesus cried out in the storm. And Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, take away the storm of your fury, yet not my will, but yours be done. But as we all know, it was the Father's will to crush his son, to atone for all of your sins in mine. And so here's my point. If we had only one half of Jesus, if we had only one half of Jesus, the great calm stormer, then we could all just ask Jesus to call our storms so that we could quickly get on with our selfish and self-sufficient lives. We could just say, Jesus, come quickly. Great, oh, great, calm stormer. Come, calm the storm in my life so that I can get on with my own self-sufficient life. But we have the full Jesus. Yes, we have the Jesus who calmed the storm, but we also have the Jesus who in the fiercest storm ever cried out, Father, let your will be done in the storm and not mine. The psalmist calls the storm the wonderful work of God because it is only in the storm that we learn to let go of our self-sufficiency and yield to the sovereignty of God. So please, please let us not settle for Jesus, the great calm stormer. Let us also embrace Jesus who cried out in the storm of the Father's will, in the storm for the Father's will to be done and not his. In the next storm of your life, will you cry out, Father, let your will be done and not mine. In the next storm of your life, will you lay down your self-sufficiency and learn to trust?
trust in God's sovereignty. It is only in this cry, in the storm, that we can move away from our sinful self-sufficiency to glorious Christ-likeness. Let us pray. Father, we know, Lord, that self-sufficiency is such a deep-rooted sin. How often do we pray to you, asking you to make us more self-sufficient? All the prayers we pray, most of the prayers we pray to bless our career, to uh, bless uh, our lives, to bless what we do, is just a prayer that we might be self-sufficient. And so we pray this morning for a deep shift, Lord, a deep, deep, deep shift. A shift that helps us renounce our self-sufficiency. A shift that helps us crucify our self-sufficiency. And help us to desire God-dependency, Lord. Help us to be brave enough, be faithful enough to give up our desire for control and plan on being needy and dependent on God every single day of our lives. Help us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.